It's time to get up and get going, South Coast. It's time for the Tim Weisberg Show on WBSM. Also streaming live on WBSM.com and on the WBSM app. Talk to Tim now at 508-996-0500 or send him a message or a voicemail through the WBSM app. And now, ready to start your day off with a bang. It's Tim Weisberg. All right, it's not... It's not Tim Weisberg, it's Jack Spillane um, with Brian Fragger from National Catholic Reporter. I did have a caller who's holding patiently, so before we go to Brian, I'm just going to let that caller come in quickly. You're next on the year with Jack Spillane. I, I think you should look into consolidating the uh, government. Consolidating? It up in Canada. They take like three or four towns and they consolidate them into one. Oh, not a bad idea. New Bedford could, could certainly use some help with its tax base from Dartmouth and Fairhaven. I don't know that the Dartmouth and Fairhaven would be anxious to join in, but but I think New Bedford might not, not be against it. Well, they, they have the regional airport, uh, vocational school, uh, you yep. should do an article on it. Yeah. All right. Up around well, Montreal. We'll look into it. That's an interesting concept, uh, regional government. Uh, I think that um, a lot of people have proposed it in a lot of other parts of the country have gone to it. But I just think there would be a lot of resistance from the suburbs who, after all, would have a lot to lose um, uh, fiscally by joining. But you do have one example of regional government, and that is Greater New Bedford Regional Vocational Technical School, which is regionally governed by the Regional School Committee. And even that, they have had some controversies between the, the, the um, whether kids from the city that could benefit from the program are, are being left out at, at, at kids from uh, Dartmouth and Fairhaven, uh, uh, who perhaps... Um, don't benefit from it as much. But we're going to go on to a new topic now. Uh, as I've been teasing for the first part of uh, uh, the program, my guest is uh, my longtime friend and colleague, Brian Fraga. Uh, Brian uh, worked with me uh, at the New Bedford Standard Times for many years. We were colleagues uh, as reporters, and then I was a columnist. And then he went over to the Herald News in Fall River and worked there uh, for successfully for a number of years. Uh, Brian may be familiar to many of you from covering uh, crime and and uh, law enforcement on the South Coast, but also for many years he has been a reporter on um, Catholic issues. And uh, uh, Brian is a devoted Catholic himself, uh, I, I would say, and, and uh, lives here in in uh, Fall River now with his wife, Catherine, and daughter, Hope. And he is now a national reporter, has uh, made it to the big time. Those uh, of us who remain community uh, reporters are a little jealous, but but but, but Brian um, uh, reports for National Catholic Reporter, which is a, a nationwide publication on Catholic issues. And uh, I was interested in having him in this morning because you may recall that last week, Pope Francis appointed 21 new cardinals. 18 of which can vote for the next pope. I think it's fair to say that Pope Francis, at least in relationship to his immediate predecessors, has been a progressive pope, uh, been a pope who has, um, at, at the very least, wanted to mix things up and to emphasize more pastoral um, emphasis as opposed to theological emphasis. And um, so he has uh, convened this synod, which will take place in October, a synod is a is a, a fancy word for meeting of the leaders um, 
but this time the Senate is going to have women uh, uh, for the first time. And so, Brian, I thought you could talk to us a little bit about what's going on with the church. Sure, sure, sure thing, Jack, and it's good to see you. Good Thanks to see you, so too. Much for bringing me on here. So, yeah, there's been a lot uh, going on lately on the Catholic beat. Um, as you mentioned, the Synod on Synodality. So a synod is a sort of a gat like it's a, a gathering in the Catholic Church is the the highest level like consultative uh, body that the Pope has the, the Synod of Bishops and every few years the Pope convenes a synod to discuss various issues of the pertaining to the church and and uh, Pope Francis has really used this to really foster like open discussions, open and frank discussions, which make which have made some churchmen uneasy at times because mm. of the frank nature and of of these of these uh, conversations. So it's not that synods haven't happened in the past; they have, but he has allowed to be on the table things that have not been on the table in the past, such as the role of women. Um, right. uh, 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 administration uh, uh, to, to gays and right. uh, transgender and um, uh, what's some of the other ones? Uh, communion for um, divorced divorce Catholic. married. Sure. Uh, during the 20, the, but there was one synod on the family that Pope Francis convened um, where, yeah, there was, there were frank conversations about, uh, about how to best, like how best to minister to families whose lives, you know, don't exactly conform, like to church doctrine. And um, after after this, after the, the after the synod on the family, uh, Pope Francis releases this exhortation. It's called um, where he, like, just slightly opened the door, just left a crack open for like pastors in, in, in some local situations to, uh, after working with a couple that had like divorced and be married outside the church, like that, that, that maybe in some circumstances they might be able to like say, receive communion. Now this is for people who have not gone through the annulment exactly. process. Annulment right. basically means that in the church's eyes, the marriage never took place right. because right. for whatever reason it was um, the, the um, individuals were not mature enough. It was right. not consummated. Whatever the reason, right. uh, the, the, the church views the marriage as never taking place. Those Catholics can go to communion, but these are Catholics who have been divorced, remarried, and did not go through the annulment process. Exactly, and like in traditional sacramental discipline of the church, those couples that that you know that remarry outside the church without going through the annulment process, that they're not supposed to. Um, you know, to be readmitted to communion. But, yeah. you know, as Pope Francis and, and the Synod sort of like, um, delved into, you know, there was, you know, life is complicated, things come up. And there are certain situations where culpability, to use that word, may not be the same, you know, like across the board. So he tried to really leave this more to, to like a, a case by case, like personal discernment type thing. Uh, but the fact that, you know, that, this conversation happened definitely made you know his more let's say traditional leaning uh catholics you know made many of them feel very uneasy yeah so i have a sister who went through the annulment process and um is it fair to say it's not inexpensive uh at least for some people <laughs> yeah well so so actually one of the reforms this pope made was to try to streamline like the annulment process to make 
to make it go like a lot faster and to waive the fees when possible. So ostensibly, it's it's a lot easier now than what it was say a decade ago. But my sense is is that it's you know it's still a very like you know very much a process of red tape and you know which includes having to, to like line up witnesses and um, going going through a tribunal. So it's still very much like. I think to a lot of Catholics, still very much a procedure that they they'd rather not. Yeah, go maybe they, maybe they don't have the time or right. the money or or, right. or, 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 or whatever. Uh, Pope Francis also was considering allowing priests in remote areas where yeah. there's a shortage of priests, like the Amazon, right. to marry. Yeah. Yes, that came up during the, the during a synod on the Amazon, uh, but about two or three. Years ago now, where uh, yeah, like in many of the, in many of these remote villages in the in the Amazon region, people you know people go more than a year without seeing a priest. Um, you know they don't they don't have as regular access to the sacraments as people like say in North America do. So there was a discussion about at, at that synod whether to ordain like like older married men that had some standing in the like in their villages to ordain them to the priesthood. In fact, uh, the delegates at that Senate actually voted in favor of that reform. But he pulled back. Right. The the Pope didn't go through with it. Exactly. What was that about? He said, to to use his words, that that he felt that they had brought almost like a a preconceived ideas of that, that there wasn't, like as he saw it, like there wasn't real discernment, there wasn't like real... You know, like deep, like a deep conversation or thought about it. Like he sees the sin as not so much as like a parliamentary thing where there's debates yeah. and there's deals and cuts, but he sees it as, as supposed to be like this, like a spirit guided conversation where you know that's supposed to be like an authentic uh, display and fruit of you know the the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So to myself, that that looks a little bit like. Um, uh, Unlike his predecessors, he wants everything talked about, but nothing to change. That's, right, right. That's you know, and some people pointed that out. Like whereas his two predecessors, John Paul II and Benedict, their synods were very tightly controlled, almost in, in, in some ways, almost kind of scripted. And that Vatican officials, they often wrote the documents. They totally they would tell synod bishops the discussions and you know, the topics to talk about, the topics not to talk about. So, whereas this one, it's, you know. It's, it's, it's sort of like um, in the news business, what we would call a mayoral press conference. That's a dog and pony show. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where everybody knows what's going to be said right. ahead of time. Exactly. Nothing new is yeah. said, and they cut off the questions early. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one, of, one, of, one of those press conferences, and, you know, you and I covered those back in, back in New Bedford where, you, you could pretty much already write the story before attending okay. the press conference. Okay, so some have said that this has led to a, a more chaotic church where right. people are not sure right. what the messages are. And, oh, yeah. And that, that's, that's definitely been a long-running thread um, among, say, more traditional or conservative Catholics who feel that, um, to, to, like, to quote one of his more vocal critics, um, Cardinal... Uh, Burke, uh, he once made a comment that the church felt like a ship without a rudder because of, you know, because, because, you know, because, you know churchmen like him and like-minded Catholics, they, they had this idea of the Pope being very precise in his language and very, you know, um, whereas Francis is more, is more likely to go off the cuff and 
you know, and be, and be more informal in the way that he goes about his ministry. But, but now Pope Francis has appointed 73% right. of the cardinals, right. and every year it will get yeah, more right. that he lives. He's 86, so we don't know how long he's going to live but, or, or even resign. But he's not so much appointing American cardinals. Uh, he has only one in this new group uh, of 21, Robert Francis Prevost. I don't know if Chicago. I'm pronouncing right. this correctly, yeah. but he's given the powerful position of the prefect of the, of the dicastery of bishops, which so means given the recommendations to the Pope right. the new bishops. Right. right, And he's a Dominican, which uh, I remember the Dominican order, which struck me as, I always think of the religious orders as not part of the, the hierarchical mm-hmm. structure. And, and now Pope Francis has put this guy in charge of it all. Right. Francis has, you know, been very active in remaking the College of Cardinals more so like in his image of a, of a more pastoral, a more um, sort of like less doctrinaire uh, mm-hmm. version of church Shepherds. leadership. Uh, shepherds, exactly. Shepherds, he's used the, the term that, you know, that he doesn't want bishops to be like culture warriors. He wants them to be shepherds, like to... And it's a phrase that he's used to have the smell of the sheep to, to be yeah. alongside the people. And some of the American bishops have become quite identified with um, conservative politics. Oh, yes, indeed. Um, um, the Bishops' Conference in the U.S. has, you know, it's been more conservative it's, uh, than a lot of other national bishops' conferences. At times, the, as a body, the bishops have resisted some of, some of this pope's reforms and, you know, and his pastoral priorities. Uh, I'll, I'll just give... One example, uh, 2021, uh, so after Joe Biden's elected, um, you know, he, he becomes the second Catholic to be elected to the uh, White House. Mm-hmm. And uh, the bishops right away um, focused on, you know, in, as they saw the problem of a Catholic politician like Joe Biden who supports abortion rights. Um, so there was a and so there was a working group at, put together to to look into that issue and several of the more outspoken um, conservative bishops really wanted the, the conference to come out with a document to make it explicit that you know, pro-choice politicians like, like, like Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi, that they were not to be, that they were not to be admitted to uh, communion. Now, the Vatican actually like, issued a caution against that, like uh, one of the bishops to proceed slowly. The bishops sort, sort of like moved ahead anyway. And, and in the end... After several behind, like behind closed door executive session, executive session um, uh, you know, debates, they come out with like a very tepid document that that they're now using as a springboard to launch this like national Eucharistic Congress or mm-hmm. revival. The idea that, in their mind, the key to revive church attendance is to remind Catholics of what Eucharistic theology is, and. At one point, President Biden, and I don't know if this is actually true or not, said that Pope Francis himself told him that he could go to communion. Right, right. Which yeah, I don't, the right. Pope hasn't, to my knowledge, commented on that. No, he hasn't. But, but that's just astonishing where the president is saying, and, and whatever you want to say about Joe Biden, he, he seems to consider himself a serious Catholic, goes to Mass, uh, right. uh, seems to, I would argue, takes it more seriously than the first Catholic president, President Kennedy. And... Um, uh, but he has said that I'm going to communion. We have to take a commercial break, but we'll be right back with Brian Frager and we have a call on the line. So uh, we'll be right back. Right. 
All right, we're back. This is Jack Spillane with uh, Brian Fraga, reporter for National Catholic Reporter. We have a five, about five minutes before the half-hour news break, which you don't have at later parts of the day where I filled in. But we have a caller on the line, Brian, so let's go to him. You're on the air with Jack Spillane and Brian Fraga. Hey, how's it going? Good. Got a question. I've been hearing you guys talk about the Catholic Church, but what's being done about the, uh, about the predator priest? It was just a settlement on the news. You guys actually reported it. About a man from a Krishna who just settled. I, I'm I'm not aware of that case. Are you, Brian? Yeah. Of the Akushna case? Yeah, I'm not. No. Against Father no. Richard the Gagne. Father, okay, I know a father. I I know a father the Gagne, and I know that's been a like a one of the local cases of yeah. of abuse that have been looked into. I don't know what the, you know what I, has. Come, I, I think it's fair that, to say know. that the clerical abuse scandal has been one of the reasons oh, why yeah. people have left the church. Absolutely, absolutely, um, absolutely, it has. And and l- the lack of faith in the, the people who were deemed to be hypocrites in what they were preaching right. and what they were acting. Right. Hello, call. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to touch on that because I'm a survivor myself. And oh, I don't wow. think it's yeah. Just sitting here so, listening to you guys talk about it. Yeah. I mean, it's just making me upset. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. how 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 did it affect you? Did you did you lose your faith over it? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah. Do you think it's possible to, um, to, to, for the church to, to go forward and get us back together, or do you think that it's just too, too um, corrupt? I'm a survivor from the 80s, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's just it's going to be a, more and more of us are going to be coming out. Yeah. Just telling you right now, it's going to be another epidemic against the Catholic Church. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I think, that, I think that's a, 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 a certainly a legitimate point. In my own family, many people have, have lost their faith because of the um, clerical abuse scandal. And I, I think that even today, sometimes they still seem, in, in certain cases, to, to, to be protecting the bishops, you know. Right. Uh, yeah, um, Pope Francis, you know, so he's done a couple of reforms to, on this issue, uh, 20, 2019, he releases um, what's called a, a new, oh, I'm sorry, a new uh, motto proprio called Faustastes, and the idea was to hold bishops accountable for if they cover up cases or if they themselves committed the abuse, right? But so, and the idea was that this was a missing piece in the accountability procedures that the church has undertaken mm-hmm. since really the scandal broke on a nationwide. Uh, scale in 2002 with, with the spotlight. Uh, now, however, as many survivor advocates at the time pointed out, and I think it's been borne out since then, this new procedure isn't perfect. It also isn't very perfect, and it's still, uh, some, some would say it's still a case of in the institution trying to police itself. And like how, and um, so it's often pointed out that it's usually only because of the, uh, the press the news media and the result of like of like grand jury investigations that we that only through that do we do we learn yeah. like the scale the scope yeah. of the sex have, abuse crisis. Have, have they got through their heads that this is a police matter, not a church matter? When when when, when these things take place, here? some have, but I think you uh, many. I think it's fair to say many church officials in the higher, like in the hierarchy, higher ups in Vatican, still see it. At, you know, they're still very much 
have the interests of the church at you know at heart you know mm-hmm. that and that this and that if they can find a way not to not to involve civil authorities i think you know many would be likely to you know try and go that route carl when you say more is going to come out what, what do you base that on Do you think a predator just stopped that one victim? No. That's not. They don't. They don't. They don't. So when they get the courage to come forward, I'm asking all of them to come forward. Yeah. I've interviewed... I'm sorry. Go ahead, Claire. So I've interviewed, uh, you know, uh, Mitch Garabedian a few times. He's the Boston attorney who has represented scores of sex abuse survivors. We can talk after yeah, the break, I, I suppose. I, I, I'm just being told that I need to go to the um, okay. half-hour news, so thank you for calling a caller. Uh, you can hold on, or, or we'll talk to you later. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan says Congress needs to keep politics out of the National Defense or Flotation Act, Authorization Act. Speaking on CNN's State of the Union, Sullivan says he expects the Senate to strike down the version of the NDAA that was passed by the Republican-controlled House on Friday. The House version included a number of amendments related to certain issues such as abortion and on transgender people. Some major economic reports will be released in the coming week. Michael Kastner reports. Tuesday brings retail sales data for June, industrial production, business inventories, and the Home Builder Confidence Index. Fresh information on housing starts will be released the following day. Weekly jobless claims are due Thursday, with analysts forecasting a slight drop from the previous week. We'll also get a look at existing home sales before wrapping up the week on a quiet note with no major reports scheduled for release on Friday. I'm Michael Kastner. New York City officials are thinking about using state property in Queens to temporarily house migrants. Queensboro President Donovan Richards tells the New York Post that City Hall officials would soon be surveying parts of the Aqueduct Racetrack and Creedmoor Psychiatric Center. If the city chooses to use the sites and the state approves, Richards says tents would go up near the end of the month for asylum seekers. China's economy has slowed much slower than expected. The, the country's GDP expanded by 0.8% in the, le- in the second quarter compared to the fourth quarter. The slowdown is caused by a decline in both demand domestically and internationally. Economists describe the recovery in China as flattening, as some in China have considered a broader stimulus to invigorate the economy. A former movie studio heads to predict head predicts disaster if the actors and writers' strikes aren't settled soon. Speaking on CBS's Face the Nation, IAC and Expedia Chair Barry Diller suggests a September 1st settlement deadline similar to a strike deadline. Diller says the biggest obstacle is there's no trust between the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, which represents the studios, and the actors and writers' unions. He suggested that the studio executives and high-speed actors take a 25% pay cut as a good-faith measure to narrow the gap between the rich and not-so-rich in the industry. Recent ex-presidents get higher approval ratings in new Gallup survey, but there are some exceptions. Rory O'Neill reports. JFK leads the way with 90% approval, a full 21 points ahead of the second-place finisher, Ronald Reagan. George H.W. Bush and Barack Obama are next. President Clinton has seen his approval slip four points, but it's still higher now than when he left office. 
Donald Trump's approval is also up slightly, but it's the only other one below 50%, along with last place finisher Richard Nixon. I'm Rory O'Neill. And a Bakersfield, California woman has her wedding ring back thanks to a scuba enthusiast named Merman Mike. The woman lost her wedding ring in Bass Lake recently during her family's visit to Madeira County, just north of Fresno. She contacted Michael Pelly, a.k.a. Merman Mike, on social media and asked for his help. Pelly found the ring at the bottom of the lake after a couple hours, then dove back into the lake to remove trash he found. In sports, the Red Sox won 11-5 against the Chicago Cubs last night. The Sox will face against the Oakland A's tonight at 9.40 p.m. And now here's your ABC6 local weather forecast. As we head through the day today, we're going to see a mixture of sun and clouds. It's going to be humid with a few pop-up spot showers here and there through the afternoon. High of 85. Overnight tonight, mostly cloudy and humid. Low of 69. And for tomorrow, humid with a mixture of sun and clouds with a spot thunderstorm in the late afternoon, high of 82. From the ABC6 Weather Center, I'm meteorologist Skylar Spindler on New Bedford's News Talk Station, 1420 WBSM. It is 73 degrees right now in New Bedford. I'm Adam Bass, WBSM News. Stay up to date with New Bedford's News Talk Station, WBSM, and get breaking news alerts and podcasts with the WBSM app. Thanks, Adam. Uh... This is Jack Spillane from the New Bedford Lights sitting in for Tim Weisberg. And uh, my guest this morning for the 8 o'clock hour is uh, Brian Fraga, a local guy who is a reporter for National Catholic Reporter, National Catholic Publication. We've been talking about the changes in the church and what's happened to the church. And uh, just before the break, we had a caller who was a victim of sexual abuse. And uh, he was talking about the the serial nature of most pedophiles and that he feels that, that we haven't heard the end of it yet. Um, how, how big a part of the collapse of the, the faith has been the clerical abuse scandal? I just had uh, churches written down that have closed in New Bedford just in my t- 24 years here. St. Joseph's in the North End, Our Lady of Fatima in the Far North End, St. John the Baptist. So many. St. Yeah. Ian's in, in the peninsula. Yeah. Uh, St. Uh, Hedwig, Polish Church Saint Co- in the South End. St. Casimir in the North End, Polish Church. Our Lady of Perpetual Help. Uh, in St. Killian's. It's quite a few. Did you mention St. John the Baptist? St. John the Baptist, yeah, the, first the, Portuguese, the first Portuguese Catholic Church, Church in North America, I, which is the one that broke right. many people's hearts. I, I, I covered the last Mass there. Yeah. 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 Sad. Um, yeah, I mean, there so, uh, a lot of factors to explain the institutional diminishment of the church in the, like in our region in the Northeast. There are demographics. People have been moving away to another part of the country. There's, you know, like an age gap. Um, uh, young people, by and large, are very much less likely to attend church than their parents or grandparents. But yeah, there's also the the clergy's abuse crisis that really, I think, affected the credibility of the church and its bishops and priests. Um, it damaged it damaged a lot of the trust that people had in the church, and um, and it doesn't help that every you know. Every seven, ten years or so, there's a new wave of the crisis that hits. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas in 2018, we learned about the scope of the abuse of, the, of the, the crisis in Pennsylvania, with a grand jury report there. That same year, we also learned about the revelations of the of, of the former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, who yes. at, one, at one point was a leading uh, church figure in the U.S. He was the Archbishop of Washington D.C. Um, in fact, if you go back and you, you can find this on YouTube, there's, you can find 
clips of then Cardinal McCarrick speaking at the U.S. Bishops' Conference in 2002 about how they had to take this issue seriously of, of, of sex abuse. Well, it's it's, 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 um, it's just a, a segmentation of thought worthy of Bill Clinton. Absolutely. Uh, I, I would, absolutely. I would say. The compartmentalization. Yeah, so um, we, we have the calls li- lined up now. I, I would just say that I, I personally feel, as someone who was raised Catholic, who has not practiced actively for a long time, but still would like to go back to the church in many ways. I think a lot of people feel that they would, and they feel they, they certainly um, religiously and culturally still Catholic. Um, it just feels like they're cutting themselves off from a lot of people that would be um, among their parishioners. But we have three calls in the line now, so let's go to one. You're next on WBSM with Jack Spillane and Brian Fraga. Hi, good morning, uh, gentlemen. Uh, Jack, this is Catherine. Uh, Hi, Catherine. Hi, I'm I'm glad that uh, I got in first because I I, I don't want to interrupt this conversation, uh, and I'm sorry that I'm going to do it very very briefly at the beginning of it. Um, I just wanted to announce that the uh, petition signing will be at Market Basket today uh, from one to six for uh, term limitations for city councilors, and that we have reached our two thousand. Um, signature uh, number uh, uh-huh. as of last night. And your goal is to get to 3,100 signatures, I, I think? Uh, yeah, uh, it, it, strictly, yes. And then we want a buffer of about 500 because, you know, uh, some people don't aren't necessarily, they think they're registered and they're not or they're from out of town, okay. but they signed it, something like that. Okay. Thanks, for, right. thanks so, for that update, Catherine. Thank you. And okay, thanks. Bye. Okay, thank you. You're next on WBSM with Brian Frager and Jack Spillane. We're talking about the Catholic Church this morning, both locally and, and nationally. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I was a Catholic, went to Catholic schools, etc. And um, I think it's abominable what's happened with the uh, sexual abuse, etc. Um, and I intermittently pay attention to uh, Catholic news out of nostalgia. Uh, but one question I have for your guest is uh, uh, whether they have uh, revised their opinion in um, seminary school applications and uh, initiation regarding psychological testing uh, to see if uh, candidates have inclinations uh, towards abusing other people and um, what's happening in that area, if anything at all. Have have the seminary guidelines been revised, Brian? I have heard heard in the past that uh, there were psychological tests uh, possible, uh, and they were uh, basically rejected by, uh, you know, previous church hierarchies, and uh, whether there's been any progress uh, in using uh, scientific methods to uh, screen out people who aren't suitable to be priests. Yeah, um, I mean, I've interviewed seminary uh, professors and rectors over the years who have told me that yeah, they they they, they now use psychological screening applications. They, they do background checks. They do personal interviews to try to you know see if there are any any issues with. Uh, Candidates uh, before the end of the, before they enter the seminary. Yeah, I mean, I think that 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 
some of that, obviously a predator is someone that you have to screen out. But I, I always think that it has something to do with the celibacy um, issue because I, I think that when you have a, 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 a and I, I want to be careful here because certainly um, all abusers are not uh, homosexual, but I think that that that, that who's who, who would be attracted, you know, to uh, uh, a cel- uh, a celibate type organization. Again, not that all priests who are celibate are gay; they're not. But but I think that you have to have some sort of you know constructs of, of people who would be inclined toward pedophilia or or, or whatever. Yeah, Mr. This- Braga, have you um, explicitly um, reported on? what the type of tests are, and can you name any of them? Uh, and are they widespread, or uh, is this simply um, uh, a specific seminary's inclination to use them or not? Um, who is using them? Because it would seem that that's a very important tool uh, to protect people. Right. Um after the Dallas Charter for the Protection of Young People took hold in 2002, I know one of the reforms um, to talk about then were revamping the screening processes for seminaries. And um, you know what? That, that's a great story idea to, to kind of take a, 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 delve, like a deep dive, delve into exactly what are these screening applications and processes that seminaries are are doing. Um, I know. Did, did, didn't, didn't for a while Pope Benedict say that gays were not yes. appropriate for the yes, priesthood? Yes, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great point. So in 2000, so that's been a long running sort of like thread in some, some, I, I want to emphasize mm-hmm. that, some conservative Catholic circles, especially in the U.S., that, you know, that um, the, this idea that, get, you know, that, th- that this sex abuse crisis was a was a gay crisis, a, a, a result of gay men being ordained to the priesthood. Yeah. Um, that would be news so, to the woman from the North Shore right, who, right. Um, yeah. who I think committed suicide and uh, Cardinal Law knew of the case, right. uh, uh, evidently. But, but, but that, that thread has run yeah. through. So in 2005, the, you know, um, under Pope Benedict, the Vatican issues a new um, guideline to, to prevent men with quote-unquote deep-seated homosexual tendencies from entering the priesthood. Deep-seated has never really been like explicitly defined what that means. But the idea, but again, that's very much in line with this idea that you know that gay men were to blame for the for the crisis. Um, st- now, very studies commissioned by the bishops have refuted that. But that's still, but that's still very much something that sticks. Um, uh, this past November, the new uh, president of the U.S. Bishops Conference was elected. I interviewed him in 2018. He had made a comment that they that that he believed the abuse crisis was a homosexual crisis. I asked him if he still believed that, despite the studies, and he said, basically, uh, uh, yes, and that it would be naive to believe otherwise. Okay, more of this in a minute. We have to go to a commercial break and the calls lines are all lit up. Okay, we're back. This is Jack Spillane from the New Bedford Light and we're having a great conversation with National Catholic reporter Brian Fragger. We have a short block here about two minutes long, but we have some callers that have been waiting patiently, so I'm going to go to one of them. 
you're next on WBSM with yeah, Jack. Good morning. Jack. I, I'm going to have some questions for your guest, Brian. Yes. Uh, is your background in Catholic Church history and theology? Do you have a background in history and uh, church theology? So my background is primarily in journalism, um, but I, st I, st I study theology as for my job, basically, just to have a working knowledge of it to be able to... Let me ask yeah. you another question. Are you, yeah, uh, you consider just, yourself a I, modernist or a traditionalist? Yeah, I just want to say for a second that I, I've worked with Brian Frager for a long, long time. He has always been much more conservative than me, and he also has been a journalist with the pilot, uh, writing on Catholic issues um, with the anchor, with uh, uh, National Catholic Reporter for a long, long time. I mean, I am not, I never went to school and studied political science or government, but I've been reporting If I may, Jack, he sounds like a modernist to me, that the church needs to change to the current times as opposed to traditional Catholic teaching. But that's my impression. But I would suggest, uh, Brian is a very smart individual, I, I would suggest, and you can read this, Jack, too, uh, it, it was an encyclical written by Pope Leo, it's uh, written in Latin, Humanum Genus, H-U-M-A-N-U-M, and, and then the second word is Genus, G-E-N-U-S, and I would suggest uh, both of you and all your listeners read Humanum Genus, because I think we are... Uh, we're in uh, these times uh, very troubling. I think it's, uh, in, uh, I think, very difficult times, not only for the church, but for humanity. But thank you very much for taking my call, and I thank you, Brian, for answering my questions. So if I may, if I, if I might add, so the caller does, you know, present a concern of many, again, to use these terms, traditional leaning or Catholics, um, you know, um, so the Second Vatican Council of the 1960s, um, Vatican II, as it's more commonly referred to, really sought to reorient the, church, the Catholic Church in terms of how it engages the quote-unquote modern world. Um, so, a lot, so a lot of things like previous preconciliar popes, like Leo, would have said, you know, we, we had preconciliar popes very much critical of the notion of liberal democracy, for example. After Vatican II... The church begins to with because of the contributions of you know of, um, John Courtney Moray and, and other thinkers. They the church take, takes a more conciliatory approach to liberal democracies and to the modern world. Um, and Pope the Pope since then have sort of continued in the, it, continued in that vein. Um, yeah. John Paul too, uh, sure. Benedict even. And, and I think. Um I think Pope Francis's point is that modernists, so-called, that's what we want to call them, with, you know, I, I, I certainly am a modernist. Uh, uh, I don't know, I don't want to speak for yourself. I guess I would describe myself as a Vatican II uh, Catholic. Yeah, so whether you're a modernist or a traditionalist, I, I think that um, the point of Pope Francis is that people should be able to talk to each other and people should be able to, you know, akin to liberals and conservatives in this country, that instead of seeing the other side as evil... You see them as someone who you disagree with and that you're one body, the, the body of the church, one body Americans. Right. And I, I think that this idea that the other side is the enemy there. I mean, Pope Leo, I'm not that my grandmother had a big photo of him in her bedroom. Uh, I remember as a little kid. My, I understand that that encyclical was a, was an anti-democracy 
encyclical, but there have been popes throughout history who have said all kinds of things that right. we don't believe in now, right. at least of which was in the Inquisition. And and so I, I don't think that anybody thinks that uh, that um, J- Jesus himself, who condemned the, the Pharisees and the scribes who loved the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law, uh, I think... the things change like you know and and, so. I'll, and I'll just add that Pope Francis for his more pastoral or conciliatory approach to you know people whose lives again don't conform to church topping he has emphasized more pastoral but he has also at the same time he's still upheld the line on traditional teachings like on abortion for example or the all or the all male priesthood he hasn't you know we got to wrap this up Brian so we're going to a commercial <laughs> 